And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my good friend Eric Brakey from Young Americans for Liberty. Always a great time talking to Eric. Uh, we talked about, uh, we, we kind of did a deep dive into the impending uh, battle for the heart and soul of the GOP leading up to the uh, the midterms this November uh, between the more nationalist, kind of big government Republican side and the the more libertarian side that wants people to be free. Um, it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, I think it's going to be a big year for the GOP, but there are definitely uh, multiple factions trying to pull the party in, in quite different directions. So uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. It was a very interesting conversation. Uh, guys, before we get to Eric, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you are an Apple user, please take a few seconds to uh, leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Eric Brakey. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Eric Brakey. Eric, how have you been, man? I'm doing well. I, I came here because I heard there might be some gimmicks. Do you have any gimmicks? Fresh out. Fresh out of that, my friend. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Uh, no gimmicks on this podcast. Not Sad allowed. to say. Absolutely. So, um, unfortunately, we don't really have any cheery topics to get to today, as per usual. It's been a I mean, it's been a sad several years, I'd say, on this on this podcast. Maybe, maybe we'll maybe we'll have a reason to turn turn it around. There's this year, always right? silver lining, you yeah, know. Right. The worse the worse it gets, the the more desperate the uh, it's it's just the more desperate the establishment is is becoming, right? It's that uh, Princess Leia quote: "The more ta- strongly they 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 try to gr- grip, the more star systems will slip through their fingers." That's true. At the very least, they become more and more entertaining. As they That's get true. desperate and, and radical. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't know that you get, I don't know that anything surpasses Trump level sub entertainment in politics. No, <laughs> no, I saw, uh, and, and I've been pretty over Trump for a while. Like it's just, it's been nice not having to think about the guy, but uh, I did come across a Twitter account that had archived like his, just his greatest hits over the years. I mean, going back like 12 years, you know, just some of the absolute best, just making fun of women's looks the time that he uh, wanted to buy Greenland and build Trump Tower on Greenland on the coast there, I'm like, man, that there was some hilarious moments on on Twitter.com. Like they they did take something very special from us, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still kind of terrifying to think that they could just like kick the sitting president of the United States off of social media, and uh, boy, it hasn't slowed down, has no, it? <laughs> no. Side note, do you think that? I mean, obviously Trump was just running his mouth, but do you think that there was like any meetings that happened on the United States literally buying Greenland from Denmark or whoever the heck owns Greenland? Like, it, it would yeah. it wouldn't shock me if they, if there like there were phone calls made. <laughs> it finds out it's not for sale. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself back into. It's like feels like so many news cycles since we were talking about Trump proposing uh, that the U.S. buy Greenland. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's like maybe he's just trying to have his own like Louisiana purchase. Like all these great presidents yeah, yeah. brought new land masses into the U.S. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have to think somebody on like foreign, like Lindsey Graham or somebody. He made a phone call to somebody over in Europe somewhere. Like, hey man, I don't know. Lindsey, what are we gonna do about this? <laughs> Greenland. Uh, they're saying it's not for sale, but I'm but I'm a real estate guy. I only make the best deals, and <laughs> I know there's always a price. <laughs> So uh, over the weekend, Rasmussen uh, released a poll that revealed some very troubling information about our friends on the, the left. Um, they, they found that 55 percent of Democrats believe you should be placed under under house arrest if you haven't been vaccinated. Forty eight percent believe that you should be sent to a concentration camp if, if you are unvaccinated. And twenty nine percent of Democrats went so far to say that the government should take your children 
if you are not vaccinated. And we, we talked about this quite a bit on, on Monday's show, and, and so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I, I kind of want to get to a bigger point here. But first, first of all, I just want to get your thoughts on just just the this polling data itself, man. I mean, like our friends over on the left, they are the situation is more dire than I think any of us thought it would be at least this quickly. I mean, the speed they were able to turn these people against their own countrymen over a virus. You know what I mean? It is fascinating. You know, what drives me the craziest about this is not that it is just obscenely tyrannical. It's that on top of everything else, it doesn't even make sense. It's totally irrational. We've had for months now, studies that have demonstrated that the, the the vaccines are only effective at reducing the risk to the vaccinated individual of severe hospitalization or death, severe, severe uh, outcomes with COVID. But we know that the vaccines do nothing in any significant way to reduce infection and transmission rates, which I, I suppose perhaps, perhaps if we were talking about traditional vaccines and traditional diseases, I, I mean, I would certainly be objecting to these kinds of policies on the grounds that they were grossly tyrannical and an overreach of power right. and all of that. But at least I could understand the internal logic yeah. of the proposals. Like the but small there's pot- no internal logic here. It's exactly. simply like it's, it's simply sticking your head in the sand, denying reality, denying the science for all they accuse other people of being science deniers, denying the 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 science of these vaccines that they are they are not the silver bullet. They're, they're not going to stop the spread and yet continuing to insist over and over again that we have to force people yeah. through threat of violence, through even putting people in camps, taking their kids away from them, that we've got to enforce this with threat of violence. That these are the folks who are holding back society because they because they won't uh, take a uh, inject a vaccine that does nothing to benefit anyone outside of themselves. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely. It is crazy. And, it, and you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, I, I, I wouldn't be in favor of sending anybody to a concentration camp for any reason. But like, you know, it's, it's like saying you're going to send cancer patients to a concentration right, camp right. If, if they don't take chemotherapy. Right. I mean, it's, it's like. like what business of yours if they choose to pursue chemotherapy or not? Right. Like, I don't believe any vaccine should be mandatory. But if you're talking about, like, you know, the smallpox vaccine or the polio vaccine, at least those vaccines work. At least the, the smallpox vaccine does prevent you from getting smallpox, you know, in almost 100 percent of cases. And there isn't even, I mean, even like the Dr. Fauci's of the world, like the, in the bureaucrats, none of these people are even claiming that the COVID vaccines present prevent the spread of COVID. I mean, that like that talking right. point's they been were, dead for six months. They were months. early on. Oh, of course. They were course. early on, but now they are are being forced to uh to to you know basically quietly concede that everyone who they were <laughs> getting censored and smeared uh they're having to quietly concede that these folks were right. Right. That's that that the vaccines are not what Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci claimed them to be. Right. Uh, they do not stop the spread. And if you had said that months ago, you, that would have been grounds for getting kicked off Twitter. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you gave if you tweeted what Anthony Fauci says on a daily basis now, three months ago, you would have been banned from the Internet. I mean, it's <laughs> the speed in which the narrative has changed and they just continue to change. I mean, narrative. Right. Uber and Alice, they never, man. I mean, they can't right. stop. They just keep transitioning to the next narrative. They cannot right. stop. They don't and have they the, never. They never acknowledge that any change has taken place. It's like 1984. Yeah. We have to pretend that Anthony Fauci is saying now what he has always said. And what do you mean? We've always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> right. Right. And it's so bizarre. It's like these people, the elites, they pretend like we're living in a pre-internet world. Or even like a pre-telephone, like telephone, or like a pre-mass like mass communication world. It's like they're they're living in like the 1800s or something. Like they They believe that the only point of reference we have for reality is like the New York Times or something like that. Like this hasn't been the case for generations and generations. It's fascinating. But my uh, my initial reaction to reading this poll, and I, I touch on this briefly on Monday, but I want to kind of dive deeper into it today. I, I had another thought that immediately came to me. And, and you and I, Eric, we're both Republicans. And, you know, if the audience doesn't know, you know, you served in the Maine State Senate as a Republican. You were the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. Uh, up there in Maine as well. And we both believe it's important for the liberty movement to gain influence within the GOP. And we both, on 
this podcast, your podcast, other people's podcasts, we've both given all of our reasons why we believe that time and time again. We don't need to get into that right now. But it's been concerning, and I believe this is one of the most important political fights of our generation. And, and what I mean is this this big government, nationalist, populist, whatever you want to call it, movement within the GMP, GOP that's drag, try, attempting to drag the GOP in, in a big government direction, in the, in the exact wrong direction. And, you know, like we've... We've large, not fully, but we've largely defeated the neocons, right? Like the the neocons' control of the GOP is waning. You know, their influence is is definitely diminished, at least compared to what it was a decade ago. But these people are are in, and not just as no, not not just as dangerous if you happen to be living in the Middle East. But they the, the, this new nationalist populist movement is is dangerous because not not only and like I immediately thought to these people reading this this Rasmussen data. Uh, of when when they pulled the Democrats on COVID, because it's like, guys, do you really think that the Democrats are going to submit to like an authoritarian Republican? Like <laughs> that is not going to happen. Like the left is just as dug in as we are, just on a different set of priorities. I mean, the guys like you and I—I I, mean, I don't want to speak for you, but guys like me—I mean, I would absolutely die before giving up my firearms, right? Like I'm completely dug in on the Second Amendment. I would never give up my AR-15, all, all these things. The left is just as dug in. Their, their priorities must are obviously much more sinister and ridiculous and nonsensical. But they, are ju- they, that, but they still do have their set of priorities that they're extraordinarily dug in on. So it's like to my friends on the right, and and some of my audience believes some of these things. And I've had people on the show that have advocated for some of these big government, you know, why shouldn't conservatives use the force of the state to force our will down? And, you know, these types of people. It's like, guys, what's your plan? Like, follow this argument to its reasonable conclusion. What do you think is going to happen? Half of the Democratic Party wants to enslave you and take your children if you're not vaccinated. And your plan is to ban porn and convince them to go to church? Like, I'm sorry, like, like, I'm a devout Christian, Eric. Like, I wish everybody would go to church, but that's not, it's just not in the cards right now. It's not going to happen. So it's like, like, follow this bizarre big government, quote unquote, conservative, if you can call it that argument to its reasonable conclusion. You're talking about war because these people aren't going to submit to an authoritarian on your side. Are you willing to, what are you willing to do? Force them? You're willing to kill them? Because that's like a Dick Cheney argument. You're willing to kill thousands of people for their own good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like that is where this argument goes if you follow it to its reasonable conclusion. And like looking at how dug in the left is, it's like obviously we can these big government right wingers. They're they're wrong. I mean, their their arguments are immoral. They're wrong on their face. But like even if they weren't, it's not tenable. Like it's not realistic. That there's no path forward for that argument that doesn't involve like a national divorce or like mass slaughter. So it's just like it's not even that these arguments are wrong. It's that they're not, they're just not realistic. Like it's it's just a fool's errand. Yeah. You know, I have um, in my time in politics, I've observed that, you know, when the at least, I, you know, I remember the Obama years, you know, the the Bush administration was done and the Republican Party was going through an identity crisis, kind of a, an ideological civil war. Yeah. You know what? is going to be, you know, the future for the GOP. And there were many different factions, you know, uh, everyone knew that whatever we were, we were against Barack Obama, but how we were against Barack Obama, what we were advocating for was, you know, a big knockdown drag out fight between the Ron Paul libertarian wing to the neoconservatives, uh, and 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 in all of that, you got this kind of populist, uh, the populist right, the more. And I guess I, I mean, I guess the Ron Paul movement was a, was a form of the populist right too. It's just a sure. libertarian populism versus an authoritarian populism. Right. Um, but you know, at, at a certain point, I and I think that we we um, these kind of the more the populists generally, I think, have been kind of fellow travelers in in recent years, but uh, you know, in terms of ousting the neocons right, and right. the globalists in that sense. But at a certain point, it's like the fellowship at the ring. At a certain point, <laughs> you get to a certain point where you have to decide, are we taking the ring to Mount Doom or are we taking it to Gondor? Are, is, our, is our goal here to destroy the, the, these, these instruments of power? 
and these instruments of coercion and to restore liberty to the people? Or is our goal merely to take the ring for ourselves and try to use it against our enemies? Because history tells us that those who think that they can just take the ring for themselves and everything's going to turn out all right. No, you will become best case scenario. You will become everything that you claim to despise. And that is why we, we the our mission should not be taking control of Washington, D.C. for ourselves. Our mission should right. be destroying these apparatuses of power in Washington, D.C., restoring power back to the states and the people, because that's how we get liberty. And that's what ultimately we talk about make America great again. Like that's ultimately what always made America great. Right. It was decentralization. It was individual liberty. It was not putting our autocrats up in power instead of their autocrats up in power. 100%. I mean, that's that's spot on. And, you know, I, I wish these people would recognize that they sound exactly how the neocons sounded, the people that they hate so much. They, they, it's like they're making that same kind of argument. <laughs> like, we're going we're gonna to take over the GOP. We're going to force people to do things they don't want to do against their will. And it's like, man, you, you just sound the like— The ring of power turns everyone into Gollum. I know. I know. And it's and they remind me too. They these arguments they they do remind me of neocon arguments because it's the same kind of dynamic where it's like the neocons are all these guys that never served in the military that never done has done any, never been in a as little as a fist fight in their entire lives right who are yeah, just more than anxious yeah more, more but they're more than anxious to send people you know send other eight you know eighteen year old kids over there to die right. um, and it's like you know I I get the, that same vibe. Um, from these guys too because it's like they're all these like right wing like writers like, who they live in who, New York who are like advocating for what forcing the entire political left to do things that they don't want to who how really you're going to do that you're going to go to Johnny Democrat's house and force them no. to go to church on Sunday really like to see you try not, not all the democrats man like not all the democrats are these you know pacifist kale eating pussy hat wearing <laughs> like women's march protesters some of them have firearms too and it's like are you Sorab Amari are, are you going to go force them to do what what you want them to do because like what are you suggesting here like you're suggesting the use of force and you better be careful if you're going to suggest that man because there's a there's a real real life ramifications to suggesting something like that the use of violence against your countrymen Absolutely. Now, I'm not sure which writers you're specifically thinking of, and I'm sure we could all think think of a think of a few. But but yeah, no, I I guess I've long seen that kind of the, the, the major factions in the Republican Party. I mean, there, there's there's many more than just these three, but I think kind of the three biggest players in terms of throwing their weight around and reshaping the party have been, of course, the neoconservatives who ruled the roost, you know, through the Bush age and their time, their time is coming to an end. Perhaps it's already come to an end. I mean, they've, they, they've, they've been trying to hold on. <laughs> Liz Cheney is trying. I mean, they really, really genuinely believed that if they could get rid of Donald Trump, that the party would revert to their <laughs> control again. But yeah. it's like Michael Malice said, uh, Donald Trump was the dam, not the river. Uh, yeah. They thought he was, they thought he was the river. They thought if, if you got rid of him, but all he was really doing, he was holding back uh, the real, real populist angst and frustration. He was, he was, he gave them uh, those with uh, these frustrations a place to channel that frustration into a way that ultimately involved working through the political system um, and in in, tra in in traditional ways. You know, trying to work to uh, make Washington D.C. better. I think personally, I think that we're we're you know we're at the point where. It's time to give up on Washington, D.C., and it's time to focus on the states and restoring the, the power of the states in this country. But so yeah. you have but I but so the neoconservatives are on their way out. Then you have this kind of new kind of um, nationalist populism, let's, you know, if we want to call it that. Uh, and then you've got kind of the libertarians and the libertarians being a big part of the Republican coalition since the Ron Paul days and who are. Really, really, I think, you know, the libertarian faction is really winning on the state legislative level across yes. the country. I think it's the biggest underreported on story in Republican politics is the silent revolution taking place in the states. While everyone watches Washington, D.C., it's, uh, you know, in fact, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the 2012 uh, Republican National Convention when the Mitt Romney campaign went 
to try to win all the straw polls and the beauty co- caucus, uh, the beauty contests in the yeah. caucus states. And the Ron Paul forces went and won the delegates, which is what actually counted. The right. media reported on the beauty contest straw polls, but uh, but they didn't report on the delegates. Well, we're winning the state legislatures. These are the voting blocks that actually really count in terms of shaping policy across the country and counter countermanding the tyranny coming out of Washington. So I 100%. think uh, the libertarian wing of the party is very well positioned in this GOP civil war. The neocons are trying to cling to power in Washington, D.C. They're on their way out. Uh, but, you know, the these nationalists may um, uh, they may have a lot of success in, uh, as far as federal races in, in, in 2022. And that could set up a very interesting dynamic if suddenly the party is split between libertarians, uh, you know, arguing for state sovereignty trying to decentralize power out of Washington, D.C. Yeah. versus Republicans in Washington, D.C., who are this new nationalist faction who want control over the country through the nation's capital. It'll be a very interesting dynamic, and I imagine it could uh, result in some big internal party fights. Yeah, I totally agree. And do you think that guys like you and I kind of didn't understand fully how big of a deal it was going to be? Because, like, I mean, I- I've been more than happy— to ally myself with these people against the neocons for years. I mean, for five years on this podcast, right? And and they have, you know, on foreign policy, they're good on a lot of stuff. They're 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 obviously great on like COVID, and, you know, against like mandates and stuff like that. But like, if you look at what these people believe on economics, it's it's bad. It's Elizabeth Warren. I mean, it's it's like it's essentially socialism. Um, but socialists they're basically socialists that go to church on sunday you know for lack of a better term um so i guess you know i i've been feeling like 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 this movement's kind of snuck up on me a little bit like we should have been paying more attention to it before but like another Mm -hmm. actually from rasmussen as well poll from this weekend shows the gop with a nine point lead over the democrats in the generic congressional ballot which is huge i mean if that number is true that would you know, if, if that number is accurate and the election was held today, it would be the largest uh, landslide uh, congressionally by Republicans ever. So we're we're talking historic uh, levels of, of, you know, if you look at Biden's approval rating, historically low. Democrats are just screwing the pooch everywhere. They've decided to run like against parents <laughs> having any say in like their children's schooling and so, and you have to mask your two-year-old and all. I mean they've adopted the most ridiculous nonsense um it should be really easy for the GOP so I mean there's obviously tremendous opportunity this year um but right but, could but be, what be kind of Republicans exactly. are going to ride in on that red wave is the question exactly and that I mean, is going to that's going to have to do with the primaries right I mean it really matters who's winning these primaries if we get 50 or 60 Thomas Massey's we're getting somewhere. If we get 50 or 60 Dan Crenshaws, we're moving backwards. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. So, like, you know, and, and I hate the inner party fights. I mean, you see, like, the Libertarian Party having their own brouhaha right now. I'm glad I'm not a member, so I don't have to pay attention to it. But I'm like, shoot, it's coming to the GOP next. This is going to buckle up, boys. But as much as I hate it, well, this is important. This is it, it's go time. Like, this is really crunch time. These primaries are really going to matter in a big way. Right. What I would say is the difference between, I think, maybe the inter-party fights in like the LP versus the GOP is that the intra-party fights in the GOP actually matter. Matter. Sorry. sorry <laughs> they guys. actually. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know there's a lot. I, I, I mean, I love my friends in the Libertarian Same. Party, but but I, I ultimately I I'm not able to get on board with that strategy because it's I feel like, yeah, worst case scenario, it's kind of like a LARP. It's yeah. like it's like being in model UN. It's like you go through the motions of doing things. But at the end of the day, the outside world is not affected. Right. Whereas who controls the Republican Party actually has huge consequences, arguably for the entire planet, yeah. for, 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 for billions of people alive today and those no, those not yet born. So it's 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 a big deal. Um, and, and there's a reason why, like, there's a reason why the. You know, neoconservatives are not in the establishment. No one's no one's spending money trying to stop, you know, the hardcore, authentic libertarians from taking control of the libertarian party. It's because let them have the libertarian party. We live in a two party system where the rules of the game are written by the duopoly. 
to make it impossible for a third party to compete. So where the fights really are, the fights that matter, are in the primaries within the two major parties. And if we want to make Liberty win, we've got to win in the primaries in the Republican Party. And I I am focused so much on the state level races, state legislature. Again, I think that the states are the sleeping giants of our constitutional republic. And if they ever realized the power they had and there were legislative coalitions across the states willing to stand up and exercise their state power under the U.S. Constitution, then um, we could we could save this country. But um, but but also, you know, there there are some really good people running for running for Congress, too, in these Republican primaries. I yeah. think of like Anthony Sabatini in Florida, who's got a great opportunity there. I think of I just had on my podcast um, I, I, Tim Baxter, a uh, state representative from New Hampshire, who's running in a primary in a very competitive seat. You know, New Hampshire, I mean, New Hampshire's come such a long way. Yeah. The Liberty Republicans are the majority of the majority in the House of Representatives there and are like yeah. passing school choice, slaying the income tax, cutting spending. It's amazing to see. Um, but uh, and and I know um, uh, anyway, there, there's there, there's candidates, you know, someone to watch out for is Nathan Dom running for United States Senate in Oklahoma. He's a part of our Young Americans for Liberty has the coalition. He's a state senator there. Uh, he's a he's a Ron Paul guy. So there's a lot of folks who are through the Young Americans for Liberty kind of Hazlitt legislative program who uh, are, are are working this cycle to make the leap to the federal level. And I certainly hope uh, as many of them get there as possible. I should also mention Steve Kara, who's primary and incumbent Republican Congressman Rhino in Michigan. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of good people running for the federal level. And if we can get these folks in, that would be, that would be great. I would love for the Liberty faction to, uh, to, you know, for Thomas Massey to have some reinforcements there and Rand Paul as well to, to combat the influence of these more authoritarian wings of the party in Washington, DC. But ultimately at the end of the day, I still believe the most important thing is we got to win these state legislatures. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the state legislatures, I mean, they don't, most of them don't exercise a lot of the powers they have, but they are extraordinarily powerful. I mean, they can they have the power to nullify a lot of federal laws. I mean, they can obviously deregulate their own state. They can order their own National Guard to stay home, you know. And, and, oh, yeah. So, I'll tell I mean, you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Here, here's, here's an idea I've been promoting more and more on something states could do to stand up to Washington, D.C., because, you know, the mechanism by which Washington, D.C. kind of controls the states and pushes unconstitutional federal policies, it's through federal dollars. Right. So they take our dollars, they tax, they tax our dollars, they take their cut of it and pass it out to right. all the special Washington, D.C. special interests. Then we get the table scraps back uh, to the states now. But but those table scraps aren't free. They come with strings attached. If right. you want your federal highway funds, you better pass policy X, Y, Z. You better have your drinking age set at this age. You better have seatbelt laws. You better have the yep. speed limits at where we say you should have them. And those may be like pet peeve issues. OK, but here's some more, even more significant issues. This is how they're trying to impose red flag gun confiscation orders yep. across the country. Yes. They're trying to tie this into federal federal money. If your state wants federal dollars, you have to have a law on the books that allows state agents to confiscate firearms from American citizens not accused of any crime with no due process of the law. That's how they're trying to do that. I, you know, I'd really love to see the state stand up and nullify Washington, D.C.'s tax power. Say, you know what, we're going to pass a law in our state saying that federal taxpayer dollars do not flow directly to Washington, D.C. No, they're going to be collected by the state. We're going to have a a committee in our state legislature that's going to review the federal budget. We're going to evaluate on constitutional grounds how much of what percentage of the federal budget is actually constitutional exercises of power under our interpretation. And then we'll send to you that percentage of of the federal dollars. And we'll audit the the entire process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We got to have states holding the Washington, D.C. accountable because the system where Washington, D.C. gets to set the rules for itself just has has led us. It's untenable. It's led us to, I mean, you know, I mean, there is, I mean, in a certain sense, it's kind of anarchy. It's like the worst kind of anarchy. It's government anarchy where the government is not subject to any laws or any restrictions. They don't follow the constitution. They make them up the laws up as they go along. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's absolutely right. And I think just with this, what what we started off the show with this Rasmussen poll, the, we, these these big government types on the right they have to they have to understand that 
the Democrats are going to have their states too. I mean, obviously, unless unless you yeah. Unless you're like the Jesse Kelly type who legitimately does call for a national divorce, breaking up the country into three, four, five countries or whatever. Unless you're one of those people, which I don't advocate for that. I mean, you're, you're talking about civil war, right? So right. You, if, we, if we decentralize power, you're going to have to let California be California. They're just not going to want this. They're going to yeah. want their federal dollars. They're going to want their gun laws. They're going to want all this stuff. And unless you're willing to launch a war of aggression inside the United <laughs> States, you're just not going to be able to do anything about that, at least not in our lifetime, not in the foreseeable yeah. future. And that's okay. You, and what does that say about you as a human being if you're not okay with that? Like, what does that say yeah. about these guys? Like, it's like you're, you're, you sound like Dick Cheney, except he wanted yeah. Iraqis to live like Americans and, and you want Californians to live like Texans. And they don't want to. And obviously Texans don't want to live like Californians in California either, and that's fine. I mean, who are you to, to judge? Who are you to tell them how they need to live their lives? It, it, this We've seen political violence over the last several years. We've seen an uptick in it. What, ask yourself, do you want this? Do you really want to escalate this? Do you really want to make this worse? Is that the path you want to go down? To the point where you're, you're advocating for the state to kill your countrymen for quote-unquote their own good. Because that is truly, and I, I know I get accused of being too hyperbolic on the show every week, but like that—that's what you're advocating for. When you when you call for violence, the use of force, that is what you're advocating for. Recognize this, and you, you're gonna. Both sides need to disarm here if we're gonna make it out as a republic, and it, we're gonna have to let states go their own way. You're you're gonna have to let them. Right, right. You know, one thing I do love about the fact that national divorce is becoming more and more talked about on both the right and the left. One thing I love about it is the shifting of the Overton window. We're now nullification of unconstitutional federal laws is now yeah. the moderate position. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the first time I've ever been, uh, you know, a moderate. I'm just advocating, you know, that we keep the union together, but we just, you know, let California be California and Maine be Maine. Now, I would say one caveat there. I'm okay with California being California, but I would also like Northern California to be Northern California and Southern California. You know, it's like they've been trying to secede from the Southern Californians and become the state of Jefferson for like half a century now. And who could blame them, uh, especially in the COVID era? Um, That's such a it's just such a big state. And it's like the Northerners just get so, so uh, mistreated and and yanked around by uh, Southern California. So, um, but, you know, I think it is worth looking at. I mean, there's interesting conversations happening right now about like, you know, redrawing state lines in certain places. I know that, um, is it like uh, uh, Eastern Oregon wants to join Idaho? Idaho, yeah. Sick of being, you know, yanked around by Portland. And, you know, uh, yeah, hey, it's like, why, why, why should the imaginary line be drawn in one place versus the other when the people in that region want to separate and 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 align with um another state that they feel like more represents the policies that they have there more represents their views and their 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 lifestyles the the more that we try to force people under to live under one size fits all policies at the barrel of a gun the more likely violence uh is going to uh to, to to become and what it was the old saying you know those who make uh peaceful revolution um, uh, impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And, right. and that's the way that we're going. If we decentralized, if we restored power locally uh, to the states and we let the states, you know, you know, heck, you know, let people join what, you know, if if uh, if Northern California wants to be its own thing, let them be their own thing. There's there's no reason that these that these lines that were drawn, you know, many a, a century ago, there's no reason that they have to stay that way forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that would have to happen first, right? You'd you'd have to give, the, you know, these states the right to redraw their state lines. I mean, like look at a state like Michigan, you know, if we decentralize, we're letting people do their own thing. I mean, the Upper Peninsula and Detroit do not belong in the same state. I mean, those people you're talking about the the UP is essentially my my family has a cabin up there. I'm, I'm there all the time, and I mean, it's like it's as right wing and conservative as like rural Alabama. I mean, 100%. It is like the most conservative place in the country. And then there's Lansing and Detroit and Grand Rapids and some of the most left-leaning places you'll ever visit in your entire life. But uh, one more note before I let you go. Going back to this Rasmussen poll is, 
obviously we 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 make fun of the media a lot, and I'm gonna keep doing it. These people are hilarious. Jen Rubin is just the gift that keeps on giving on Twitter. I can't believe she's still kicking around. I I, just, I love she her, was, man. She's so. I, good. I, I, mean, I remember like, her in the Ron Paul days. She was just like the biggest neocon, like yeah. anti Ron Paul oh, person. Yeah. Yep. And now she's just like a commie <laughs> or something. Like I don't know. She's like uh, just whatever, man. Wherever the wind blows, she's gonna go. She's just it's terrific. But um, uh, I, I always anytime I'm having anytime I'm feeling down, I'll pull up that clip from like ten years ago. What I think it was on like Fox News. Who was it? Was it like Bill O'Reilly or one of those guys that just like murdered her on TV? <laughs> well, that, I, I, I don't I don't know this. I don't know. this. Oh, dude, it's I'll I'll, I'll, send, I'll tweet it out once I post this episode, too, because it's like she, she just showed up completely unprepared. She couldn't barely speak English. And he just, it might not have been Bill O'Reilly. It was one of those like old school Fox News guys. But it was I feel like, like maybe maybe I'm starting to remember this. It was like a I, I don't know why she didn't retire after that. Like you and I would be like, all right, I can't really show my face in public anymore so i guess i get i guess i'll go work in a factory you know like that's it that's that's my life now but nevertheless she persisted but anyway i i love making fun of these people because they're hilarious but like it's not joe but like joe biden isn't mao or lenin you know he's not i think he's he's not this great communicator who like corrupted the minds of the democratic party it's the press like the the press has gaslit the democrat base into believing these just vile authoritarian things. I mean, the, the three in ten Democrats want want the state to take your children from you if you're a Republican. <laughs> you know, fifty percent want you sent to, sent to a concentration camp. It, it, this isn't this isn't Joe Biden and Barack Obama leading their party astray. It's the media, man. Like this is the this is the workings of the corporate press, establishment media. When we talk about defeating these people. And the the importance of supporting shows like this, supporting shows like yours, you know, it's it matters, man. It matters because right. these people were able to take a, a virus with a ninety nine point nine 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 survival rate and use it to turn half of the Democratic Party into legitimate fascists, like actual vicious yeah. fascists. And and they they know they know their time is coming. Legacy media, they know yeah. it. Look, look at how they treat Joe Rogan. I mean, they, they're still trying to get Joe Rogan deplatformed. It's not going to work. But they're, they're going to keep trying. And Joe Rogan's like the most moderate, middle of the road. He has some right-wing perspective, some left. He had, he had H.R. McMaster on the show the other day to propagandize on behalf of the neocons. Okay? Like, this isn't, like, Joe Rogan isn't some, like, libertarian warrior out here, guys. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a hilarious comedian. He's a smart guy. He's not, he's not on anybody's side, but he's not a complete zombie. So the press, they're like, they, they can't handle it. I mean, they, they know their their grasp on power is waning, but if they aren't defeated well, soon, look at the damage right. they've done. Read that polling data, and this is what CNN has done. This is what the New York Times has done. They've done so much damage, and they do not deserve to exist anymore at this point. Well, well, and I'll say this. I mean, and they, they make the same mistake with, with Rogan as they made with Trump. They yeah. think that, oh, if you get rid of this guy, if you yeah, yeah, platform yeah, yeah. this guy, then uh, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to go back to watching CNN? <laughs> like, you honestly think that's that's what's going to happen? Yeah. No, no. First of all, people will find uh, go find Joe Rogan wherever he is, whatever platform he's on. Uh, and let's say, I don't know, maybe like if they really got Joe Rogan, like, like they took him, they sent him to the uh, to the gulags and we never heard from him again. These people, these people aren't still aren't going back to CNN. No, they'll find other people. They'll find alternative media sources because these people. It's like once you've seen the lie that is the corporate press, you cannot unsee it. No. I remember when I saw it for the first time you oh, know, yeah. ten years ago. I had believed everything they put out there, hook, line, and sinker about the wars and everything else. Yeah. And once you realize the big lie, it's they're not getting you back. No, they're not I getting you back. What? Once you realize why <laughs> Boeing and all the military industrial complex companies are buying so much advertising on the corporate press cable news shows, yeah. you're going to wonder about it sometimes. It's like, I wonder how many people watching, you know, this show are in the are looking to buy a commercial jet. I wonder why they're spending <laughs> so much money on advertising here. No, it's because it's because it's a bribe. It's because it's a payoff to these corporate media outlets to push the wars, to push the agendas that these big uh, old oligopolistic, cronyistic, 
corporations that are partnered up with the government at the taxpayer trough. Yeah. It is they're 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 put they're pushing the agenda of corporate America. And that's not the agenda of you know regular American people. And once you see it, you're not going back. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean it it really is an emperor's wearing no clothes kind of situation where like once you realize what who these people are, meaning the corporate press, you're it's like you're literally watching a naked man on your <laughs> on your television. You're like it, it's and just the arrogance of these people too, just the, the 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 elitist mentality that these people truly do believe. I mean, they believe that if they take out Joe Rogan, then his fifteen million daily uh, viewers are gonna just go right back to Jake Tapper. It's like a, you, yeah. you can't like you. you it's, it's physically impossible. Like th- those people would be in physical pain watching Jake Tapper's TV show after watching Joe Rogan. Like it would just be, it would seem so nonsensical to them that they would just laugh. They would laugh and move on. And just the arrogance of these people, honestly. I mean, it's it's arrogance, but they also they they feel entitled to viewers, right? You know, it's just like I've never, like I'm I'm obviously I'm a singer in a rock and roll band, and I've been doing this podcast for five years. My entire life is trying to convince people to listen to me. And like the first step is to realize that you're not entitled to anybody's time. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? But people in legacy media, it's like they, they truly do believe it's like they're owed viewership. Yeah. Like they're it's it's like their birthright or something. It's so right. bizarre. To and me. no matter how many times they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, no matter how many times they get caught lying and just like I, I mean, we could just take like the like the Covington Catholic story. Oh, yeah. Or the Jesse Smollett story or everything. I mean, like how many times over the course of the last yeah. five years have they have? Yeah. Rittenhouse. How many times have they just outright lied to the American public? Everyone knows now that they lied. Everyone knows they lied about Covington Catholic. Everyone knows they lied about Jesse Smollett and Rittenhouse. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Why would anyone trust these folks ever again? They, they, they never acknowledge that they made a mistake. They never apologize. They just move on and hope that it all goes down the memory hole and we'll forget and keep watching CNN. Well, screw that. Why would we ever trust these folks? And I I know that like I'm in the minority here among libertarians, and like I I and I I don't mean that like the press is worse than the the state. Obviously, if I could snap my fingers and eliminate the state, I would over the the media. But you know CNN can't imprison me or kill my family. But like in a lot of ways, corporate journalists behave in a much more nefarious. I don't know about more nefarious than the politicians, but like at least equally nefarious. At least with politicians, I understand them. They're just these selfish morons that want power and they want money and they want fame and they want people to love them and they want to be able to tell people what to do. And it's all this, you know, but it's like the press, it's like they're, they're specifically trying to poison people. It's like they're specifically trying to get people to, despise the very freedoms that are their birthright as an American. It's, you know what I mean? So it's like, I almost view, and some of them aren't. Like, I don't think, like, some of them are just, like, silly geese. Like, Brian, I don't think Brian Stelter's an evil man. He's just, like, a big dummy that just got this job somehow on CNN and just doesn't really know anything about anything, and he's just just a goofball or whatever. I I, I think like some of them are. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Brian Stelter and a lot of these folks, I think they often genuinely believe what they state they believe. But the thing is, they are in those roles because they believe yeah. what they believe, right? They yeah. are there to promote an agenda. And and I sometimes think that, you know, we can try to say which is worse, like the corporate press or the government. It's like, well, it's hard to distinguish between the two because there's such a revolving yeah. door between there's, them. There's really... I mean, you, you look at like all the spooks. That like James Clapper, for example, who <laughs> lied to Congress about the existence of the mass surveillance programs that Snowden uh, uh, revealed. He lied to Congress under oath and he was never prosecuted yeah. and he got a cushy job on CNN. And there are so many people who go directly from these spy agencies oh, yeah. that, that have been, I mean, pushing us into wars, pushing us like, try, you know, trying to create this global empire, oh, yeah. uh, trying to conquer the world. And and they go immediately from from those uh, agencies to when they retire, they got a direct pipeline to CNN and where they're shaping the news. So, yeah, it's it's like 
we have a kind of state run media. Yeah, it's yeah. It, yeah, there's there's private corporations involved in it too. It's more like yeah, it's a very fascist media. It right. is it is it is select big corporations in bed with the big government trying to sell propaganda to the American people to create a narrative that we live in uh, where we where the only reasonable choice is to keep giving more and more power to these folks. So that's their purpose. It's to sell us on that. We need we need this system. We don't need this system. We need liberty. Right. Absolutely. And just look at the damage done. And I know I'm repeating myself over and over, but like the, the, this Rasmussen poll, half of Democrats want to send you to a concentration camp if you're unvaxxed. That is that is the corporate press. That is the hand of corporate media, of legacy media, whatever you want to call it. It's it's their fault. It's their fault. The Democratic leaders are a joke. Joe Kamala Harris, Joe Biden. I mean, these, like these people, those people are not convincing Democratic voters to embrace fascism. They can't convince their dog to eat a biscuit in the morning. These people are idiots. They're completely inept. Kamala Harris, I mean, they, like, come on. Joe Biden has Alzheimer's. Kamala Harris just starts laughing hysterically anytime she's asked a question. These people are not, like, doing the heavy lifting here. It's the press. Like, the press is is taking the reins of the propaganda machine, and they are corrupting your neighbors, your friends, your family members. Half of them literally want to send you to a concentration camp because you vote the wrong way. And, yeah, I mean, that. These are important fights, man. I know, like, I, I, I hate these shows where it's just, like, previewing all the pain that's coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we have the fight of our lives on our hands when it's in terms of taking down the, the corporate press. When it comes to winning the internal fight in the GOP, you know, between the, the libertarians or and the nationalists. And, and by the way, to all, to, I, I have a very mixed bag of people that listen to this show. And I think, I'd say a majority, at least— are just like traditional conservatives, actually, who disagree with me about a lot of my radical positions. But like, I, you don't even need to like liberty. Call it whatever you want. You don't even need to call it libertarianism. Call it, you know, Jeffersonian republicanism, or whatever. Whatever makes you yeah. feel better. <laughs> liberty needs to win the day, and it has to happen before the midterms this year. And so yeah, right. man, on the media front, on the electoral front, like we are, it's going to be a big year. I mean, it's going to be a big year. And I'm not doing the whole the most important election of our life. I, I don't none of that nonsense. But uh, no, I mean, these, this is a big moment, man. I think this is a big moment in time that we're, that we're moving into right now. It is, and I will say to any of your audience who say, "Well, I'm just a regular conservative. I'm not a libertarian." I would say to them, if you're an American conservative, you are a libertarian, one hundred percent, because. Because you look at, you know, when someone describes himself as a conservative, I've got to say, okay, tell me what it is. What do you want to conserve? Like conservative means you want to conserve something. And in the American tradition, we want to conserve, you know, the principles of the founding, the the principles in the Declaration of Independence, the principles of limited government that are enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So to be an American conservative means uh, trying to conserve those American principles. Now, to be a conservative in different countries might mean something very different. To be a conservative in the United Kingdom or Europe might mean the exact opposite. Yeah. It might mean wanting to return to the traditions of monarchy. It might mean returning <laughs> right. wanting to return to authoritarianism. So, so if you're an American conservative, you're a libertarian. If you are a European conservative, maybe you're more of an authoritarian. So, I guess to the, those in your audience who consider themselves conservatives, we rebelled against Europe for a reason. <laughs> yes. We want to be American conservatives, not European conservatives. We we want to uphold liberty, yeah. not uh not autocracy as our as our standard. And 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 to the to the people on the right who've been maybe flirting with this nationalist populist movement, it is almost like a more European right wing model than it is an American right wing model. We'll take a look at the UK. <laughs> I mean, t- take a look at France, take oh, yeah. a look at Israel, take a look at Australia, take a- any Western country outside of, of, of America, take a look at Canada. The right wing in all these countries are just, they're, they're leftists by, by American standards. I mean, they, they've they done nothing to stop, you know, COVID lockdowns they, in, in Israel and in the UK specifically, those two countries, the right, it was the left protesting the COVID lockdowns and restrictions and stuff. It was the right wing. Who were the authoritarians? It's like that's literally what you want. Is that what you want here? <laughs> Is that what you want here? Because that's not what I want, brother. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I think all that, all that being said, 
obviously the work of you guys over at Young Americans for Liberty and other organizations. I've done a ton of work, especially you guys, to be honest, especially at the state level in terms of getting these state legislators elected. I think, um, I mean, shoot, man, how many, how many uh, in 2020, how many endorsed candidates did you guys have win? It was like a, it was a huge number nationwide. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it was it was well over 150, yeah, and we're up to triple digits. Right, right, right. We're, we're we are we're up to like 180 something members of our Young Americans for Liberty has a coalition. So state legislators elected in their state capitals who are committed to the principles of of constitutional liberty. By by you know to compare that when I was in the state senate from 2014 to 2018 here uh, in Maine. There were, if you went across the country, there was no Hazlitt coalition, and you had maybe, if you were being generous, you could count to ten yeah. people with with this kind of philosophical outlook in state legislatures. It's it's revolutionary what's happening right now, and um, uh, we our goal is to get to 250 by the end of 2022. That was a goal that was set two election cycles ago. I am very confident we're going to smash through that goal and have more than that. 250 accounts for 5% of all state legislative seats in the country, which uh, is significant because you don't need to have a majority. You just have to have an high rate, tireless minority in there (laughs) sponsoring bills, holding the politicians accountable, getting roll call votes and letting the people know how the rest of the politicians are voting on matters of freedom and liberty because the people will hold the politicians accountable if given the opportunity. Thomas Jefferson spelled it out when the government fears the people, you have liberty. When the people fears the government, you have tyranny. So let's make the government afraid of the people again. Let's get our liberties back. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Eric, let's do this again. It's always it's always a pleasure, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Where can everybody check out your podcast, which I was just on a couple weeks ago, an excellent show that I highly recommend. And uh, where can everybody follow you online? Where can everybody get involved with uh, Young Americans for Liberty? Yeah. All right. So first thing, you can find me on Twitter at tw- Twitter. At Senator Brakey, uh, you can find the podcast. I just recorded our 92nd episode today that just went up. Um, uh, it's Free America Now. It's available on all major podcast apps. Uh, and uh, you can find out more about Young Americans for Liberty at yaliberty.org. We are making liberty win every single day. We uh, follow in the legacy of Congressman Ron Paul. Uh, we w- were founded as Students for Ron Paul. And we're continuing to carry that that message of liberty forward into the next generation. Everybody check out Yale. They do great work over there. Uh, everybody follow Eric. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Um.